Is mainstream school failing your kids? The pandemic, with all the changes to schooling and daily life, is a moment of opportunity to rethink the educational path that works best for you and for your kids. So the question is, how can we as parents find alternative solutions that aren't necessarily having to do it all ourselves or pay for programs that we can't afford? I'm Jerry Kirk. And I'm Graham Kirk. Join us as we talk with families thriving on their own path. We shared practical tips, wins, and challenges they've been through to help you on yours. We interview educational experts and parent entrepreneurs with education solutions for the modern age, so parents wanting a better alternative can make confident, informed choices. Welcome to the Modern Education Movement Podcast. You're ready for change. And so are we. Welcome back to the Modern Education Movement Podcast. Now, I'm really excited for today's show, which is especially for parents who are are raising differently wired children. And what I mean by that is children with different learning disabilities, maybe ADHD, voice exceptional, autism, sensory processing challenges, anxiety, giftedness, and, and more. Now, what I didn't realize until recently is that more than 20% of today's children are in some way neurologically atypical. And my guest today, Debbie River, refers to this as differently wired. And because the world isn't set up to accommodate their unique way of being, these exceptional kids and their parents raising them often struggle on their way through this journey. And this is the situation that Debbie found herself in as she was raising her child, Asher. And despite attempts to get support, she discovered little out there that really spoke to her situation. So in 2016, Debbie created Tilt Parenting to help parents like her get the support that they really need. And since then, she's done some other amazing things. She's given a TEDx talk and published the book Differently Wired, Raising an Exceptional Child in a Conventional World. She also has a podcast, which I recommend you checking out, which has over 3 million downloads. So when it comes to educating differently wired kids, which is something we're going to explore today, I think there's really no better person on the planet to have that conversation with. So Debbie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm excited to have this conversation. Yeah, I, you know, you've been on my radar for uh, for quite some time. So it's a real treat that we, you know, get to have this conversation at last. And I, I love what you say about differently wired. I think there's a lot to that, that, um, that phrase. And so I'd love to just kind of start with that by, you know, what do you mean by, by differently wired? Well, you did a nice job of defining it when you introduced me, but I, I really gravitated towards the phrase differently wired because when I realized that I was raising a child who was neurologically atypical, so much of the language is pathologizing difference. It's, an, you know, this epidemic of autism is something we used to see in headlines a lot and disorder. And it's just very negative. And I like this idea of thinking about things as differences rather than than deficits, right? Mm-hmm. And that is not to say, I just want to say this up front, that having a learning disability or having something like ADHD or being autistic or being gifted, being twice exceptional, all of these different ways of being wired differently that fall under that umbrella, that there aren't real challenges that come with them. 
but there are also incredible strengths that come with them. And I, I like this idea of just shifting the way that we even perceive learning disabilities as like, this is a difference. It's not a deficit. It's something that we can accommodate for and support. And there are actually incredible gifts that come with so many of these ways of being differently wired. Yeah. I really love what you're sharing on your, your, your TEDx talk, but just how in today's world, right. In order to solve the problems and or take advantage of opportunities that are out there, we really need innovation, right? We need people who are mm -hmm. disruptors. And a lot of those, a lot of those people are differently wired, right? They are, they're mm -hmm. not, they're not the same as a, a lot of other people. So. Yeah. And that was, you know, when I did that, that TEDx talk that was in Amsterdam, I loved this idea of looking at the disruptors because that is a word that is often associated with kids like mine. They're the kids who are opinionated. They have um, something to say about most things. They don't necessarily want to conform and follow the rules. They want to put their own creative twist on an assignment that they're given. You know, the typical way of doing something isn't necessarily going to spark them. And when their needs aren't being met, they can be disruptive. But that's because they're kind of trying to get by in a education system or a society that isn't allowing them to be who they are. And right. yet, when when we look at the people who are innovators as as grownups, disrupt disruptors is a coveted thing, right? And so I, I really wanted to make that point that the disruptors that we need in the future, the ones who are going to solve the big problems, climate change, and, you know, get us to Mars and do all of those things. Those are the people who think differently. They are disrupting typical systems and we need them. And so we need to support our kids who are disruptors so they can grow up with a sense of knowing who they are, understanding their strengths, and I have some self-confidence to boot. I'd love to, to know, you know, for our audience and just for myself as well, a little bit more about, about your background then. So like, how did, how did your story begin? Like, when did you realize there was something differently wired about Asher? At a very early age. <laughs> and I will say this was not doing this work was not part of my plan, my career plan, but I have always been someone who I mean, I worked in the corporate world until 2003. And after that point, I've been writing books and creating kind of always solutions to things that I wish I had had mm. um, when I was younger or in, in different uh, stages of my life. And so when Asher was very young, we knew that he was very intense. We knew that he was precocious. He was uh, he was a, you know, a self-taught, very early reader, just a very complicated human. and. I was kind of like, huh, okay, uh, this is going to be interesting. We're not just going to be able to pick the, you know, the local elementary school and send them on their way and think everything's going to be fine. And so it was during preschool and then moving into elementary school that we started realizing that this just wasn't going to be the path we had thought. And I started really exploring, what do we do? How do I get support? How do I even find out what is going on with my child? Other than all I knew it was that he was really smart and really intense, a yeah. tough, a, a tricky customer, <laughs> my friend used to refer to him as. Yeah, that's great. And so, you know, throughout the course of really years of uh, having some failed both preschool and elementary school experiences and really struggling as a parent to know how to support my child and 
you know, with my husband, us trying, like wondering, are we just bad at this? Or like, what's going on and and finding it so hard to find answers for those questions and not even knowing where to turn. I kind of, from that point, I realized, all right, when I figure this out, I'm going to share what I learned with other people, because I knew that we weren't alone, but we felt alone. Mm -hmm. And I also knew that kids like mine were really not being treated well, they weren't being seen or respected, and supported in the way that they deserved. And so I kind of had this sense from a very young age for when my child was younger, that I would be doing something to make this easier for other families like ours. So I'm getting, I'm getting the sense, like what some of the, basically the differences, the ways that he approached things and or interact with things, those were seen mm-hmm. largely as problems essentially. Right? Yeah, that for they sure. Were, they were, they were behavior issues mm-hmm. that they didn't want to condone and, and there weren't, there's no value in that. Is, is that essentially what you were dealing with? Yeah, because there is such a priority on compliance and in this, especially for, for early elementary school, it's about following the rules. It's about knowing how to follow instructions. It's about, you know, everyone working together in a certain way. And, and there isn't a lot of wiggle room for kids who want to put their own creative spin on a project or see things differently. And so we kept butting up against that. And, and I'm just, I just read an article the other day, or maybe it was a meme about, it was a father holding up a sign that says, my child does have a winter coat, they just don't want to wear it. And, and, and that reminded me that in first grade, my child got in trouble, sent to the principal's because they didn't want to wear their winter coat on the playground. Sensory issues, opinionated, they didn't need mm-hmm. it, but that wasn't seen as acceptable. And so when, when kids like Asher, kids who have, Asher has ADHD, is profoundly gifted, very complicated kiddo, <laughs> when their needs aren't met, and these kids often have lagging emotional regulation skills, it comes out and looks like bad behavior. It looks like uh, intensity, explosiveness, uh, meltdowns, things that we don't want to see or teachers mm-hmm. don't want to see in a classroom. And so a lot of these kids end up getting punished. Uh, they get in trouble, they get suspended, and they start to internalize, internalize this idea that there's something wrong with them. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so that's definitely what we were facing. And there were a lot of phone calls early pickups. I, sometimes I would drop, drop Asher off at school, sit down, I open the computer and get ready to work. And I'd see the phone and I'm like, Oh, it is the school yeah. already. It's only nine 30. <laughs> oh, and man. so I, there was a lot of not knowing what any day was going to bring. Yeah. And yet, you know, obviously there was another side of, of Asher too, that, that, that you saw, right. That potential. I mean, what, what are, I'm curious, like, what are, what are some of the, the, the gifts that you saw and that you continue to see in, in, in Asher that. Oh, goodness. Uh, Asher is just, first of all, I think I, as a twice exceptional person, I think twice exceptional humans are fascinating because they, they just look at the world in such a, a different way. And, and from a very early age, Asher has been someone who would devour books and information and could really make associations between something that they had read or learned here with a bigger, concept or you know there, there there was this ability to contextualize information and make these profound observations and I'd be like who even are you like how are you thinking about this stuff and 
I'll just share this, this story kind of sums up who Asher was and continues to be. When Asher was maybe 13, 12 or 13, we had gotten a bunch of books from a, a library sale, you know, 50 cent books. And we just grabbed a bunch of books that we thought looked cool or they were old and philosophy books and all kinds of stuff. And mm-hmm. I came in Asher's room one morning and Asher sat up and, and said to me, John Locke's philosophy on parenting is really interesting. <laughs> and I was like, I'm sorry, what? And Asher had read a John Locke book, The Philosopher, like their whole thing the, whole, the night before and wow. wanted to discuss it. And so that's the kind of thing like, that for me you? as a parent, <laughs> yeah, amazing. it's uh, keeps me on my toes. I homeschooled Asher for many years. And so I have been able to learn so much that I never learned, you know, as a student, I was not a good student. I had my own learning things going on mm-hmm. that I now realize were not uh, being supported at the time. But yeah, so I think it is that for me, that endless curiosity and interest in everything and desire to solve problems and find flaws in things, but then try to fix those flaws, whether it's a computer program or creating the perfect font, which was a project Ash worked on for a year, a geometrically perfect font was what we were going for. So there's just this really this interest in all things that I just find so fascinating. And I and I feel grateful to get to observe and be a part of it. Hmm. So from those from those early days, then um, at some point, you know, you well, I guess, you know, a few years back, then you, you launched this this tilt manifesto and start to to create this movement for for other parents about that. Mm-hmm. So I'd, I'd love to love for you to share a bit more about what what tilt's all about. Yeah. So as I said, when Asher was younger, and I found so much of what existed for parents like me was just negative. Like I would go to websites that were supposed to be hubs of information for parents raising differently wired kids and. The websites, look, they just kind of screamed, there's something wrong with your family. There's a problem here. And I didn't love that. I I wanted something, I wanted to create something that would help parents feel empowered and really lean into the awesomeness of who their kids are, but also figure out how to best support them. And so because I'm a writer, I, I had written a number of books for teenagers, kind of self-help books for teens. I thought I... I knew I was going to write something eventually, and that's kind of what my default was. But but I also was a podcast consumer, and I and I wanted to be able to provide really useful content for free and give access that to experts, but in a really specific way. Like I wanted the mm-hmm. I knew the questions I had, or I, I I presumed the questions I had were what other parents like me had as well. And so I spent about a year researching and and exploring who else is out there like me? Are they struggling with the same things that I am? And I dove into really researching what I would create and how could I create it in such a way that excited people to be part of, I called it the Tilt Revolution. I really wanted Tilt to be more than just a podcast and a a hub for resources, but I wanted it to be a leader in this paradigm shift of the way that we perceive difference in the world and the way that kids like ours are seen and supported. And so, 
yeah, I really just dove into doing that work and planning what would I create if I could. And, and it, in 2016, I launched with four podcast episodes and a Facebook group that had like three members that were my sister, my husband, and my mom. <laughs> and, uh, family support. Yeah. And I just put it out there and it resonated with people. I think the time that I took to really craft a, a message and really understand what other families were experiencing made sure that when I launched Tilt that it it landed with them in a way that they felt, yeah, me too. I want to be a part of this. And it kind of took off and it's been just, it's now over five and a half years later and it's been such a fulfilling, humbling, incredible project to, to be a part of. Yeah. That, that, that's really awesome. Um, yeah, clearly, you know, it's, it's helped a lot of different, a lot of different families, a lot of, a lot of different parents kind of mm -hmm. make these transitions. What, what are some of them, what are some of the main big insights you've had from, from this journey with, with tilt to parents could, could benefit from learning? I think just that sense that we all feel like we're in this alone at a certain point, it can be very isolating when you discover that your child is on a different path. And a lot of times we don't feel seen or understood by the other families in our kids' school. We might have the child who is that kid that other parents might complain about their behavior or that they're in a class. Um, we might have the kids who's, who aren't invited to the birthday parties and, you know, that all can be really challenging. And so a lot of us get into this fix it mode. How can we get back? How can we address the stuff that's not working so that we can kind of, so my kid can go to those birthday parties. So we don't have trouble at school. So we can just kind of, you know, go down this path that we originally envisioned for our family. And so a lot of what I hope to share with families is that actually your child is not broken. Your child is exactly who they're meant to be. And in fact, everything else is what needs to change. Mm, the, you yeah. know, schools need to change. Society needs to change. Workplaces need to change because there's nothing wrong. And, and in fact, there are these incredible strengths that come with who your kid is. So I really, that's the message and, and the way that, that I know that it helps people kind of make that pivot is because when they find tilt, there is this overwhelming sense of like, Oh my God, I thought I was the only one, Yeah, you know, yeah. like ugh, I'm home. Like I found my people and that, that is just the best feeling <laughs> if you, if, if you've spent years feeling like nobody gets you. Oh yeah, no, totally hundred percent. I mean, as an entrepreneur, I find whenever I go to, you know, conferences where we're, we're, you know, I'm talking about other people who think like me and, and are working on things and yeah, it's so nice. People understand you. So I can yeah. just imagine the same there. And, you know, what I'm really getting from what you're saying, and it's very consistent with, you know, other people I talk to on the podcast is, you know, ultimately a lot of the, the shifts that need to take place are within, for our kids are within the parents themselves, right? Like kind of letting mm -hmm. go of this ideal that perhaps, you know, society has the way things are supposed to be. And, you know, letting go of that so that their child can can thrive and and become the person that they're they're meant to be. So it's mm -hmm. it's really that that transition for on the parent side. It's the key. Yeah, a hundred percent. That is where all of my work is. Sometimes people find tilt 
or they'll join my Facebook group or the till uh, my differently wired club and they'll want strategies. How do I get my kid to do X, Y, and Z? Right. Like, that, that is not the purpose of this group. But what I can help you with is how can you challenge your own beliefs around the way this should look or how your child should be so that you can create more room for them to show up as they are. And you can kind of have more joy and confidence in the parenting journey. But it takes a while for some people to get there. Some people don't ever get there because it's so contrary to the way they were raised. And Mm -hmm. differently wired kids are very confronting. They will challenge us on everything. They'll challenge us on you know, norms and parenting philosophies or just the way that media, you know, or Facebook news feeds reminds us of how things should look. And so it can take a while for some parents and some parents never get there, but to realize, oh, wait a minute, I I have to, I have to do some work on myself here so that I can really see this child for who they are. Mm. What I'm curious about too is, you know, so for parents who, who you know, say have a child that in some ways is, is, differently aware, but maybe they're not quite sure what's going on there. What would you, what would you recommend for them in trying to better under, understand their, their child and, and how they work and don't work? That's a great question. I would say, first of all, if you feel like there's something going on with your child, that there's some area of their life where they're struggling, be it anxiety, or they are really sensitive to loud noises, or maybe you're getting feedback from the teacher that they're not participating or whatever, whatever it might be. If you feel there's something going on, there probably is something going on. And that is an invitation to get curious and really start to notice and pay more attention to what's going on with your child. And and I really invite parents to get curious and, and observe and try to get familiar in our child's language, like how they are expressing needs, the way that they act when they come home from school, what are they gravitating towards? Like we can learn a lot from observing and noticing. And then certainly if we think there's a learning disability or, you know, there's something that we want to get more information about, you can always start with a developmental pediatrician. Sometimes a regular pediatrician, they won't, they only see our kids, you know, a couple times a year. And if our kid's having a good day, they may, but oh, it seems fine to me. So starting with a developmental pediatrician, sometimes going to an occupational therapist with like play therapy mm-hmm. and just seeing, getting on a list, a waiting list, unfortunately, but to, to do some sort of an assessment there, not for a formal diagnosis, but to get more information. And then depending on what's going on, yeah, you can do a neuropsych evaluation. And maybe if you think ADHD or some learning disabilities or autism are things that we might want to be looking for. Start with, uh, can I share a resource besides Till Parenting, which definitely go to Till Parenting and and check it out. Understood.org is a really great place to start. They are a large US-based organization that focuses on kids with uh, learning and attention issues. And there are a lot of great resources on there as well to help you start to piece together the puzzle like uh, of what might be going on based on what you're observing in your child. Okay. Yeah. No, that, that's great. Appreciate you sharing that. So, um, you know, and I'm probably jumping all over the place too, cause that's how my brain works. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, 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 I mean, it's a topic, you know, so well and, and really passionate about. So, so what I'm hearing there is, is number one, to get really curious, start to really, you know, pay attention to behaviors and, and norms and things that they gravitate towards. And then, you know, if you're seeing 
patterns that are continue to be, you know, maybe surfacing some some underlying thing, then it's it's really well worthwhile to um, to working with some professionals to get some further evaluation and and testing to to see what's going on there. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I will say that often, especially with younger kids, and I'm not sure how old the kids are, you know, in the the audience watching this show, but with younger kids, typically our first sign is going to look like a behavioral challenge because kids, little kids do not have emotional regulation strategies, right? And so if their needs aren't being met or their nervous system gets triggered and they go into fight or flight, some kids might get really quiet or, you know, and you won't know something's going on. Other kids, it's going to come out as a, as an explosion. Dr. Ross Green wrote a great book called The Explosive Child, which really talks about this. But I, I say that because, you know, there's that metaphor of the iceberg, right? The behavior is the tip of the iceberg, but underneath mm-hmm. are all of these things. And if a child is not thriving and there are behavioral challenges or, you know, they're, they're getting in trouble at school or they're having conflicts with friends or whatever that looks like. There is always a reason why there is no child that I've ever met, uh, who, who wants to get in trouble, who wants to lose it on the playground, right? Mm -hmm. Kids want to be successful. They want to be happy. They want to be connected. They want to have friends. They, they want those things. And so if they're not, there is a reason why. And that's why it's our job to start to get curious about what else could be going on and not try to address the behavior, but rather try to address the underlying problems. And it can take a while to tease apart what's really going on, but that's where the work needs to be. I see. Another condition that I'm kind of curious about too is, I mean, maybe it's it's not so much, you know, behavioral issues that um, are causing problems but like like the anxious child right so the one that's mm-hmm. maybe more holds back on things or is afraid to to do things who you know just worries a lot about life in in general mm-hmm. um, just kind of curious for you know for parents who have a, a child like that um and i on to be honest i'm actually thinking a bit about my daughter she's 17 and yeah really you know i guess i guess as a as a, as a parent i find she's just really nervous about doing like a lot of different things, big and mm-hmm. big and small. You know, she's talked about, you know, getting a driver's license for, you know, a really long time and, you know, still hasn't taken the test yet. And, you know, just other, other examples I can think of. And as a, as a, as a dad, who's an entrepreneur, who's kind of used to taking on challenges and risks and, you know, kind of going forward, if you will, like it just, even me personally, I find it challenging to figure out how best to support her in that. And mm-hmm. sometimes like I can get a little, you know, frustrated or, you know, kind of getting weary of, of, you know, another month going by and this hasn't happened or that hasn't happened. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm kind of curious, you know, for parents of anxious kids, like, like myself, um, what, your, mm-hmm. what your thoughts are. Yeah. There's a lot to unpack there. And I will just start by saying that anxiety in general is really high right now, especially because of COVID. Like we're seeing that a lot among teenagers sky high levels of depression, anxiety, mental health challenges. And it's really tricky. And I think part of it is trying to understand, again, the underlying cause of the anxiety and 
recognizing that anxiety is a real thing, right? The the polyvagal system, you know, there is this like real, when that, when someone is in that chronic stressful state, fight or flight response, that is, I mean, that is a lot. Um, And it can look like anger. It can look like shutting down. It can look like avoidance. It can look so many different ways. And I'm going to share a resource with you because this is, um, Someone that I recently spoke with, there is a, he works at Yale. His name is Dr. Ellie Leibowitz, and he wrote a book called Breaking Free uh, from Anxiety and OCD. And he has this program called the SPACE program. It's an acronym, and I'm not going to remember what it's for, uh, you know, what SPACE stands for. But mm-hmm. what I like about his approach is that it's very much about what we as parents can do if we have anxious children and recognizing the ways that we may be showing up to their anxiety or accommodating certain behaviors or not others that can be keeping our child in a more anxious state. And so it's a really interesting, so I'm just going to throw that out there as a resource. If there are listeners who are dealing with this, especially with teens and adolescents, that there are ways that we as parents can support our child, but also I'm not saying like pull out all the accommodations and, you know, say fend for yourself. You've got a face, you know, like someone who's anxious of spiders and not going to put them, I'm not saying put them in a room full of spiders, but, but there are ways that we can, that we may be supporting or further entrenching anxious behaviors just in the way that we're showing up to it. So that's yeah. something I would just throw out there. Now, there are kids who have severe anxiety disorders or their anxiety might be part of their autism. And and so sometimes they all need a different approach. Um, pulling away supports might might be completely the wrong thing to do. So I think it's really important to understand kind of the underlying reasons for the anxiety and trying again to to address that and supporting that and... And I'll just say one more thing on that, and that is that timeline piece. And I say that only because you mentioned the driver's license. I think it's always important for us as parents to, to if we find that we're feeling something like, oh gosh, well, they should have done this by now, or you know, they're getting in their own way, and this is going to mean X, Y, and Z, and how is this going to play out down the road? Like We can really Never spiral in our own. Yeah, right? Me neither. Now. Yeah. <laughs> so if you <laughs> find that... Now. yeah. <laughs> If you find that you are having that kind of reaction to something, that's an invitation to be like, okay, this is my thing. This isn't my child's thing. My child isn't ready for this right now. And that's okay. Because when we push kids to do things that they're not ready for, then they either, they may never want to do that thing. They may have more resistance towards it. And it may also really hurt their own sense of, confidence in their ability to do it because they're going to may internalize this idea that they're behind. And so when, when we can kind of check ourselves and realize, okay, this is totally my thing. When my child's ready to do this, they're going to do it in a much more confident way. And it's going to feel, they'll have so much more agency over it and it's going to feel really good for them. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. The the letting go struggle is real. That's, that's for sure. And it's a daily, yeah. <laughs> I find especially challenge. when when it, it seems like you know that there's the interest there and the interest has been there for a while, but just not taking that that step. That I think that's for me. That's that's been the hardest hardest part. So mm-hmm. I'll, I'll definitely check out 
those resources you mentioned, we'll get those in the show notes. So thank you. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'd love for you maybe just to touch a little bit more on, on, on the whole timeline thing too, because I know, you know, we're, before we started our, our interview, you were, we were talking a little bit about just right now, especially with, with all the changes because of the COVID and pandemic and whatnot, there's a lot of parents, I think, who are struggling with this, this notion of where their kids should be versus where they are. Mm-hmm. And I'd love for you to, to touch on that. Yeah. I mean, the timeline thing is, it can be really visible for us because again, because of social media and other things, we can get frequent reminders that our child may not be where their same age peers are in certain areas. I, I think graduation time is always really hard for a lot of families um, or just these kind of milestones. Our kids night might not be there at that time. And so we can get really caught up in that. And I mean, first of all, there's more and more brain science, neuroscience coming out about just how long it takes the brain to fully develop, right? It's like 25 now. We know that that is really when the prefrontal cortex is done, you know, developing. So that's pretty old. That's like in your mid-20s, right? And for differently wired kids who many of whom have lagging executive function skills, lagging emotional regulation, they may have a a lot of asynchronicity between their intellect and their uh, um, their maturity. And so for many or most differently wired kids, that 25 is more like 27, 28. So I think that's just important to know because yeah. there is, but we're still moving along as if, well, get 18, got to go to college or got to do this, time to do this. And it's like, that is not really respecting what's really going on Mm. in this human's brain. And so I think knowing that can be helpful. But what I always say to people when it comes to timelines, and actually this just came up in my Facebook group, someone posted that they were embarrassed because their child, I think at 11, didn't know how to tie their shoes. And how do I do this? What's book do I buy? What YouTube video? My child needs to know how to tie their shoes. And I was like, is that really true? Does your child need to like, why does your child need to know how to tie their shoes right now? There's Velcro, there's slip-ons, like there's so Mm -hmm. many things. Is this really where you want to put your energy right now? And so I think it's important when we feel like our child is behind on something to really like challenge that. Is it really, is this like, I mean, if it's a safety thing, like my child needs to know how to cross the street because they, if they don't, they may get hit by a car. Um, that's, that's okay. I can get behind that. But if it is this kind of arbitrary timeline that society or the media or whatever has deemed this is when this happens, then our kids deserve to be like taken you know, out of that. And we can opt out of buying into these timelines, which who even knew, you know, who knows who even created them in the first place, but Mm -hmm. they're not respectful of our kids. And so when we notice those things, I encourage if that happens to any of you all listening to this to like check yourself once again and be like, okay, does this really matter? And what's the worst thing that could happen Mm. if my child learns this skill, you know, in five years? right? Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah. 100%. When, when, uh, one tool that I've used for myself and and with others at times too is, Oh, now I'm forgetting her, her name. Oh geez. But she has like this, this, this list of four questions, right? 
which in the first one. Byron is, Katie. Yeah. Yes, thank you. I knew it. You're, yeah. <laughs> you nailed the work. it. Yeah. Yes. Right. Oh, it's that's that's helped me so many times. Right. Yeah. Just just to mm-hmm. just a question. You know, do I know this is this is really true? Can I be hundred percent mm-hmm. sure that it's true? You know, how do I feel? Mm-hmm. You know, when I believe that it's true. It's true. Yeah. 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 And yeah. It, so just those simple little questions can can make a big difference. Yes, for sure. I know you've got a lot of amazing stuff on on your website too, and I encourage people to to check that out. You've got things on different topics, including I know you've got a some details around particularly around schooling and whatnot. I just wondered if we could maybe touch a little bit on on that. Like, you know, what do you what do you suggest to to parents if you know they're in a situation where school just doesn't seem to be working for them? What are what are some of their options to think about? Yeah, and unfortunately, school doesn't work for a lot of differently wired kids because a traditional school system was not designed for them. It was designed for the quote-unquote average student, which we know average doesn't even exist. But but it most, I'll just say that most schools don't work for most kids, but some kids are able to just kind of like get through it. That's a, um, that's and a then, fair assessment. Yeah. yeah, so, but for differently wired kids whose needs really aren't being met, it can be a terrible mismatch. It can cause trauma. It can uh, really derail a child's development and and be really hard for a family to go through. And so, the something I just like to to say when it comes to educating differently wired kids is that as parents and caregivers, we ideally. Um, we're going to kind of always be tuned in and asking the question, is this working for my child? Because I think a lot of us like, oh, we got into this school. It's a K through eight. We're good to go for the next nine years. That is just not likely going to be the case. And there's no kind of long-term planning when it comes to educating a differently wired child because their needs are going to change. And we often have to pivot. Sometimes our kids you know, especially right now as we're recording this, it is uh, November and this is a time of year where a lot of kids are leaving schools in emergency homeschool situation because of things have been crashing and burning for the past few weeks. And so I think having a differently wired child requires a bit of being nimble and challenging the ideas we have around what an education should look like homeschooling ends up being a a good option. It's not a possibility for so many families. And I want to just say that up front for financial reasons, for family makeup, for all kinds of reasons. So I'm not saying that is the solution for everyone, but it is something a lot of families end up doing, at least for part of a child's education. Mm -hmm. Because especially when they're younger, it's like oil and vinegar, like a differently wired child in a, especially in a traditional school system, it often is very complicated, uh, for everyone involved. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, and one thing that I've discovered through this journey with the podcast is there's more and more options out there for, Mm -hmm. for kids to support, you know, families at home, a different, a different, you know, different cost to amounts, different time commitments, but yeah, it's kind of an exciting time right now in in the education space. I totally agree with you. Like I, when, you know, my child's in 11th grade, but back in, you know, and I'm kindergarten, we were living in Seattle, which is a very progressive city. And there were a lot of 
different options and we still felt really stuck. Hmm. Um, and there are so many more schools, you know, even for twice exceptional kids, they're popping up around the country. There's a lot more one-to-one individualized learning hubs. There are, yeah, just some really micro schools. Like it's been really exciting to see. Uh, I often get emails from parents who are like, or they'll post in my Facebook group, you know, I've got a child like this, this, and this, we're willing to move. What's the best city for us to go to? And hopefully people won't need to move to, you know, Missoula or whatever, just for their child's education. But, you know, I see more and more of these kinds of alternative learning environments cropping up. And it is really exciting to see. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, there's so much more we could you could delve into. And I know a podcast episode won't, won't do it all justice. So I'd, I'd love, you know, for, for parents out there who, you know, been listening in and this has been resonating with you, perhaps, you know, you're, you're identifying that, yeah, you're, you're one of those, those families that um, you feel isolated and you, you like some more support uh, on your journey. Where could people find out more that could connect with you and, and perhaps, you know, take a part in the, the Tilt community? Yeah, definitely go to tiltparenting.com. That is kind of the home for all of my content. And I just released episode number 272 of the podcast. And at the top of the podcast page, it's you can search under, you know, ADHD or homeschooling or just education, and you'll get a list of episodes that you help you narrow it down a little bit. So that's a good place to start. And I also have... Well, two things I'll share. One, I have a seven-day challenge on the website that's free, and it's an introduction to kind of the tilts that I share in my manifesto and in my book, Differently Wired. And they're just little tweaks that will kind of help spark your these shifts that I'm talking about in the way that we're thinking about timelines and leaning into who our child is. So that you'll find it's just a seven-day challenge on my website. And then if you are into... Facebook, which I know people are just leaving and whores, which I totally get. I do have a really vibrant community on there called Tilt Together. And it's about 7,000 people. It's all parents and caregivers in the trenches. It's very generous. And if you have like a burning question or you're, you have an IP meeting coming up and you want advice, um, what should I be asking for or anything like that, that is a really great place to start. So that's called Tilt Together. Awesome. Well, Debbie, thanks so much for being on the show today. And and, and more importantly, for the commitment you have to helping you know, definitely wired kids and, the, and their families thriving in today's world so that ultimately um, we can create a world that, that we'd love to, to enjoy and to be in and, you know, create a better future for, for the next generation. Thank you. Thank you for the conversation. It was great.